Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here is your host, Sarah Blackhurst. Hi, welcome back to Making Action Happen on the Voice America Network. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. We're going to talk to you a little bit about what's going on in Colorado on the legislative front, a whole lot of other issues that we're watching around the country. And we're going to talk about how we are all interconnected on some of those things. So, Brian, what has been the top of your mind or what has everybody been talking to you about in this last week? Um, You know, a lot of stuff. We have the Colorado... Colorado legislature meeting right now at the general session. Um, still new to me. Um, again, I come from the federal background where everything's slow and you work on stuff for sometime years, decades at a time. And then the first two days of this, you have a lot of bills coming through and I'm just going through it like, holy cow, um, just everything. And it. it's, it just works different than I'm used to. So there's that. And then obviously we've, we've seen the, um, the storms hit Texas and what's going on down there with their power grid kind of going down, rolling blackouts. So we can talk about that a little bit if we need to. Um, I, there's a lot of information out there that I don't think is necessarily true from both sides. Like, right. you know, windmills freezing and that's causing this and running out of natural gas, th- these types of things, which there's reasons for what happened. But um, yeah, we're, we're following that closely. And and honestly, the coolest thing is the NASA press press can't even say it. Perseverance, Perseverance. Um, is landing on Mars right now as we speak, which is kind of a big deal and pretty cool. It's a super big deal. I don't know why I wanted to give give it a girl's name. I've been calling it not Perseverance, but Priscilla all day. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to make it a girl for some for some reason. So it, it's been fun for the last two days for us to go, um, for me to show you sort of the Colorado State side of this. Yeah. So yesterday... Uh, so let me just back up really quick. The The legislative session started and then they did the stuff that was absolutely necessary. And then they put it on pause for about a month. Mm-hmm. And so then they came back. Um, Monday was a holiday. And so they started on Tuesday. So Tuesday and Wednesday, we had, and ahead of time, we have to, I have to tell you sort of the way it works for Colorado is different than maybe some other places. Uh, this, the lobbyists that we have in Colorado are more stakeholders than they are the lobbyists that you would see in at the, you know, in DC or that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Because I think the lobbyists that you see in DC, they have a specific issue. Yes. Or they're working with a specific group. Yes. They they would generally come in our office, um, both in the district and in DC. And it's like, hey, I'm Brian McCain and I'm representing the fast food industry or McDonald's. So we're going to talk to you about an hour about what we're doing, what can help, um, what we're asking for, what we can do. And that's it. Yeah, and That's how it was. And it wasn't, I, that's what you do all day. And whether it's a lobbyist or a constituent, they come in the office and you talk to them and they talk to the congressman or senator, or they talk to staff and we write a report and say, hey, we met with these people. Here's what they're working on. Um, here's how they think we can help, or this is why this bill is bad, why this bill is good. That's another thing they ask, like, we're asking your support um, to, for this bill. So where you have the staff and, and member that may be on the, the line of whether or not to support it, or maybe they don't even know about it. A lot of times there's bills that we, didn't, we weren't um, 
aware that we're out there and then, you know, they come in and say, Hey, I'm, I'm with, um, you know, the water rights people and here's this bill. We're asking for your support. This is why. And then that helps us make a decision, but it's very slow. Uh, it's slow paced. It's a little bit more relaxed. It's more of conversations to help make those decisions versus how I'm seeing it works in the state. So in Colorado, the lobbyists usually have multiple and, and they'll be under the same thing, but they'll have multiple clients. And so they're working on a whole, a whole range of issues at any given time. Most of the lobbyists do. There's some that don't, but most lobbyists, that's what they're doing. They're working on a whole range of issues or they're in an industry where they're, they still have several clients, but they really operate more as stakeholders. They're getting the information. They're bringing it back. We're having the conversations, but because it's so fast paced. And just to give you an example, uh, the previous legislative session. So the, the one before this, um, like two years ago, I think there was almost 800. It was 787 bills that were introduced during the 120 day session. The next session, there was over a thousand. It was almost 1100 bills that were, that were introduced during the legislative session. So 1100 over 120 days, 120 days. And that's how fast paced it moves. So how, how many of those bills generally get passed? Um, not just a fraction. So I think on average, there's usually a right around 100 to 150 that get okay. passed during that time. But they go through all the committees and they go through this whole process. Um, we call it the kill committee. You know, they, they'll send them to different committees and, and that's where they'll either pass them forward or go back at the, the way that whole thing works. But it's so fast paced that what we do as an organization is we sit down ahead of time we, with our lobbyists and we have a whole lot of lobbyists who are members of Action 22 mm-hmm. uh, because they know that it really helps their clients to be members of Action 22. So we have that. But the lobbyist for the organization is Mike Beasley. And we're going to have him on for the second half of the show today again. And, and if you're a listener, he and you're a policy nerd, you love him. Uh, and he'll be on and he's going to be talking about some more specifics. But what what he does is he sits down with our board of directors and we say, this is what we anticipate. This is the rumor that's going to be introduced. These are the issues where they are going to be introduced. And they'll go through the whole thing and we'll say, okay, this is where we think we're going to, we're going to touch on this or we're going to touch on that. So then they work really hard. So his firm will send a list on those issues that are important to us of anything that's being introduced. So yesterday you and I were on the phone because kids because the weather's bad everywhere in the country right now and it was here and our kids were in and out of school and two-hour delays and all of that sort of thing um and so you and i were on the phone for two hours total going through just that list and that's not everything that was introduced it was just the list um that beasley had set aside that said action 22 will probably want to weigh in on these or these are the ones you need to be aware of and and so forth so it's really fast paced. It's really crazy. It's really intense. There's not a lot of trust that goes back and forth. I think, I think that's one of the things that's, that's really hard. Um, and then the other thing that you'll see is that, uh, for example, and we'll talk about it a little bit more when, um, when Beasley gets on, but there's the house will introduce a bill that's almost exactly like the, the Senate will. 
mm-hmm. um, the state. So uh, they've both introduced on um, something on um, immunity protections, and they've both introduced something on broadband, and they've both introduced. So because it's so fast paced and it's so much, and it's there's not the time to really talk about it. They they're not going to trust that it'll be introduced by a colleague in the in another in another house. Mm-hmm. You, so that goes, and then you have to sort of plow through this and then the committees get really long. And then you'll see what we saw um, last year with, with COVID and this happens every year is as they get toward the end, then it's, you know, okay, what's the most important stuff. And then they'll put stuff off till later or mm-hmm. if it's during election year, they'll pick it up. Or um, I don't think it's the most efficient way to do things by any means. And I really wish, and this is totally unrealistic, but I really wish that like every fifth year, that, the, that Colorado would say, we're not going to introduce any bills this session. We're just going to remove old legislation. Because when you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bills introduced mm-hmm. and you're passing one to 200 new pieces of legislation every year, then a, a big part of this is you have to go back and you have to say, okay, so this, how did this that was passed two or three years ago affect what is going on mm-hmm. now? And there's not always that assessment of how those things affect. Or what I really like that would is very realistic is if there was some kind of provision for sundown. So whenever you introduce a bill, then it has to have a, a time limit. So we saw, we've seen a couple of those that have been introduced and mm-hmm. it makes sense to say, but most of the most most of the time, there's not that sundown provision in the legislation, See, which I'm, is a problem. I'm a fan of that because you can pass something that makes sense now, like COVID is a perfect example. Right. And then two years from now, it may not be relevant. So you go back and look, is this still needed? Is it still relevant? And if not, then it goes away or it's reauthorized. It's the same. On the other hand, it could be something that was passed and it worked out great. And then right. they vote on it again to reauthorize it. So that's... That I think that's the big difference between the on the federal side and the state of Colorado, the way they yeah. do things. And everybody really goes up there with the intent to to do all these really great things. I think that the the thing that is needed, especially right now, is for us to just take that time and give ourselves permission to take that time to discuss those things that we were talking about. And I think it's been really interesting in preparing for this energy summit that we were talking that we've been talking about that we're going to be doing on the 12th of March that I wanted to sit down and find out how, how could we make, or how could we drive sort of the decision-making process in such a way that it benefits everyone and having the conversations with all of these energy leaders from Colorado Mm -hmm. about what was the most important thing to them um, the the tremendous pressure that they're under right now with everything that, you know, they're being driven to do and you have to do this. And by the way, you also have to take care of consumers at the same time we're driving those things. But then the thing that I loved was that each one of them said, and whether I was talking to Red Rudolph or we were talking to Heidi Morgan or we were talking to Ashley Valdez or Jim or, or John Hill or any of these people, um, Taylor Henderson and all of these people who are in that arena, and I'm forgetting some and I apologize, but they kept saying, how can, how can what we do benefit the consumer? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that I think is sort of lost in the legislative process. They want to take care of everybody, 
but they're not considering, I don't know that they always consider Coloradans as their consumer or their client or their, and so they're, they're like, we have this great idea and we want to do this, or we've had people come to us, we've had lobbyists come to us, or we've had organizations come to us and say, we really, really, really need you to do this. And they go, oh yeah, that actually that's, I can hear you. I, I hear you and I see that that needs to be done and let's do it this way, but they don't stop and go, okay, how's it going to affect everybody else in this area? Yeah. And that's the thing that scares me. And that's important, especially when it comes to energy and where we're going with um, mandates, renewable mandates, um, transitioning to more renewable energy base as Colorado has said we have to do, um, how it affects the guy, the little guy. Um, the average family, you know, is this going to be overburdensome to them? Is it going to kill small business? Um, is it going to scare away businesses from coming in? Um, you know, if you're a, a company that's looking to open up a manufacturing plant in the Valley or Pueblo or somewhere in Colorado, and you're competing for spots around the country, it's like, well, if I go to Colorado, this is my energy cost. And if I go to say Alabama, it's 10 times lower. Right. Uh, and that's important. So you, you really have to, and I, I hope they're looking at it this way, what is economically viable for the citizens and the majority of the citizens are not wealthy in Colorado. You know, we're middle-class or even on the low end. How is this gonna affect them? And how is this going to affect businesses coming to Colorado? Is it going to scare businesses away? Is it going to shut businesses down? Uh, I know just from personal experience, you know, my the highest bill that I had when I owned a small business was electricity. Oh, yeah. And part of that was, you know, we had a cold storage. And I get that that, that costs a lot of money to keep that running. It takes a lot of energy. But it, at the time, if my rates went up, you know, 7%, 10%, um, it would have shut me down. Yeah, like, there's and, not that much of a And margin. especially right now with COVID, you have businesses that are not making money. In fact, you know, a lot of businesses are losing money, but they're just staying open, just barely there. And if there's some energy policy that's coming down, that's going to impact them even more. You know, sometimes it's a fraction of a percent right now that will cause a business to close or stay open. So I, I really hope that with these energy bills and mandates that we're seeing that they're really considering that. So I think about a conversation between um, my husband and one of our best friends and they were getting ready to do some upgrades at our house. And they were having a conversation about how much they would love to be able to put solar panels on their, on their roof. But the, the whole thing is, when push comes to shove, the decisions that they have to make for their own household have to make sense. There has, and so, you know, we don't have twenty thousand dollars lying around just to put solar panels up on our house. Mm -hmm. And what we'd have to do that the the outlay from our household income in order to do that, we we just don't have the the kind of money to do things because it makes us feel good. Mm -hmm. We have to take care of our families first. And then I think about so propane prices have skyrocketed in the last few days, like in the last two weeks, they've gone way, way up. And I think part of it is because they're starting to talk about, you know, this whole transition. And so it's, it's really hard to get those, those propane guys are out there all the time. And for a lot of our rural communities, you have to know that they're either on natural gas or propane. So my mom was worried she was going to run out of propane and she wouldn't be able to pay for 
the that and she, I didn't she didn't tell me this she didn't make the decision ahead of time but she turned off her her propane heater um, and of course we you know we're, we live up in the mountains so we we burn wood and she has wood but she's like this is what I'm going to have to do but her wood burning stove isn't big enough to heat her her little house overnight so she has to get up and restart a fire and I mean it's you know she's not the only one and I think about people who. Um, who are retired or, or, you know, on social security and they don't have somebody there that to, can provide another alternative source of heating for them. My heart, it breaks my heart that you have people that are making these kinds of decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes to that whole, if we stop and we consider, and, and these were the questions that we've come up with to talk about uh, any kind of, climate change or energy legislation that's being introduced. One, does it, how does it help the consumer? How does it help our consumers? Two, how does it build our economy? And, you know, I'm a little egocentric, so I'm saying Colorado's economy, but how does it build Colorado's economy? How does it, um, how does it produce um, infrastructure? How does it drive infrastructure investments? Um, And then what was the fourth one we came up with? Um, infrastructure investment and economy. And there was one more that I was like, this is the, these are the things that we need to be asking. Um, Oh, expands our portfolio. So expands Mm -hmm. the energy portfolio. But I really think that we could take those questions and apply them to anything. So what if we replace education with energy? How does this benefit students? How does this benefit people who are learning? How does it expand education in our, in our communities? How does it help build Colorado's economy and how does it provide for infrastructure? You could literally take that out and do that with every single area of interest, I think. And and that's that's my vision. It's a little bold and crazy, but um, I I think that we're very, don't you think we're very capable of doing that? I think it's a simple question or a series of questions to ask for anything that they're doing right now. It's it seems like the logical, logical thing to do. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what's happening in Texas right this second. And I know you've been watching this pretty closely yeah. about what's going on in Texas um, and how this energy um, issue is happening. And um, we heard from somebody a little bit earlier that they were in, you know, they were down there in Louisiana and Texas 15 years ago. And there were all kinds of ice storms. And I remember all those ice storms. And I remember all the crazy storms, but they didn't have a grid failure. Yep. Um, and so you sent me this the other day. So let's talk about that just a little bit. Yeah. Um, so again, you're seeing a lot of stuff like windmills are frozen, nuclear power plants are frozen. First off, it's, it's important to say that I think that the population of Texas has increased quite a bit. And then even diving into that, if you have people from California moving to Texas, they're not used to the cold, so they're turning up their heat quite a bit. Right. So first you have um, stress on the grid, you know, stress on the energy grid. If everybody's cranking up their heaters for the past week, you're going to see this massive amount of energy usage. Um, and then, of course, you know, windmills and sh- this kind of goes back to Vestas, you know, they could build windmills that are, would survive in the Arctic. The ones in Texas, you know, some of them did freeze. You saw pictures of them being de-iced. I don't think that those windmills are were ready for this massive freeze, but that's beside the point. Um, windmills can be in any, any environment. Um, you know, the rolling blackouts, again, California, they used to go through this during heat waves. Um, I was out in California 
years ago. And I remember that everybody had their air conditioning cranked on the news. It was like, don't turn your air conditioner on all day. And you had rolling blackouts. So Texas, it's similar with the, the cold. Um, I know that their nuclear power plants had to shut down, but they were safe. And the reason for that was um, some of the sensors froze on it. So it was a safety precaution, just a redundancy that, oh, the sensor's out. So it's going to shut down. Nothing bad happened with them. There wasn't a nuclear meltdown or anything like that. Um, The natural gas. uh, So they, they do have energy from gas and coal. Um, but they lost the ability to get it transported. And most people don't realize, uh, if you look at Comanche, you know, there's a constant stream of coal coming in. Yes. So to run run a coal power plant, you have constant coal coming in. And I don't know what it is, and I'm probably getting this wrong, but I remember at one point going out there, it was, you know, if we stopped all coal coming into the plant, we had enough to cover for, I think it was 12 hours. Oh, yeah. So when you see these wrecks, um, the cold stopping transportation, that's gonna you know, inhibit the transportation and kind of cause it to slow down. Um, and there were some down plants that were scheduled for maintenance at the same time as well. And this kind of oh, like played into it. It was basically bad timing. So there was a lot of factors that went into it. Um, it wasn't just the windmills froze or we ran out of natural gas. It was just a perfect storm. I mean, literally right. a perfect storm. Right. And again, you have more people there. You have people cranking up their energy usage. It's going to put stress on the grid. And it's unfortunate that it happened. Um, I've been in Texas. I think I was there in Dallas one year and it was freezing. Cause I remember um, it was in my music days uh, trying to get a hotel and we couldn't find one because it was too cold. We ended up sleeping in the, the tour van, <laughs> but be, to be fair, being from Colorado, I was like, whatever, like I've, I've been camping in like negative seven degree it's, weather yeah. and stuff. So it was fine, We're but fine. I've been down there when it's been cold. So would you say that this is what I'm hearing from you right now? There's actually really no reason to politicize this issue. No, there's no reason to sit around and point the finger that it's the Republicans fault or the Democrats fault or it's Texas fault. It's just, let's find a quick, let's find a solution. There's solutions out there to do this now that this has happened. And it's just like everything else. It can either be politicized or it can be a lesson. Yes. Um, in situations like this, um, coming from my military background, when everything goes wrong, which happens a lot, uh, you take a step back afterwards and you say, what happened? Why did it happen? And how can we prevent this from happening again? How and that's what that? needs to be done. And the worst thing that happens in these situations, especially in the military, is the finger pointing. You don't want that. You're always going to have somebody say it was their fault. No, it was their fault. Um, this is a bad plan. It was his fault. No, it was a great plan. It was her fault. And you're seeing a lot of that right now. And that's not what we need to do at this point. We need to step back, take a look at it. How can we prevent this from happening again? And how can places like Colorado or other states learn from this? Because, you know, this happens. Um, there's droughts, there's freezes, there's storms, you know, there's Hurricane Katrina's that come through. Right. New Orleans, they really, after Hurricane Katrina, um, they they really stepped back and like, we need to prevent this from happening again. And they did. They Im- implemented plans and, and changed their infrastructure to handle that better next time because it will happen again. This is yeah. the last time this is going to happen. So before we go to break, really quick, what can Colorado learn from this? Um, you know, I, I think that 
we going forward with the energy stuff, we really have to have an all above energy approach and renewables are great. I don't think they're just, they're not just there yet. And we have to transition to them slowly and smartly. I know that people say there's a war on coal and oil and gas and to there is, I, I honestly, yeah. there, there really is. And maybe this is showing why it's important to have oil and gas still in the, the infrastructure and why we need that. And we can't just shut off a coal plant like Comanche three right now. Right. That they're talking about like, you can't just stop that and make it go away and expect it to be fine. Um, you know, solar panels, they always say the sun doesn't always shine. The wind doesn't always blow. That's true too. And you need to have that backup. And, you know, there was one bill in the state with the hydroelectric pumps, yep. like labeling that a renewable energy. And that's great. Like we need that. So, so I guess, I guess the thing that I hope everybody really, um, grasps onto or, or will, would embrace is this idea that if you look at the tremendous forward momentum that technology has had in the last five to 10 years, especially when we've made it a priority and we're having a lot of conversations, just think about how, how far batteries have advanced in the mm -hmm. last little while. There's no re is there any reason to think that the technology, if given the appropriate attention and time would not catch up? Yeah, the technology is going to get there. Uh, battery storage is really interesting. Um, there's some places on the Western Slope that were really doing research into underground thermal storage of power, really? which that, that's always been a problem. Like, say we do have a lot of wind and sun, like how do we store that energy? And just in two years, battery storage has um, capacity manufacturing has increased astronomically. And the technology will catch up. Um, it's just not there yet, but it will get there. And one day we're going to see, I think, um, a lot of renewables that are, are efficient and are affordable. I just don't think we're quite there yet. Right. And that's one thing that really needs to be considered as we transition into this renewable energy state. I loved so much what Senator Bennett had to say when we asked him the question about economic feasibility uh, when he was on the show a few weeks ago, and and he said basically, if if you don't have that component, then you're never gonna. It's never gonna succeed. It's never gonna be successful if you don't have that economic feasibility component in it. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna get the people behind you that you need to have behind you. You're not gonna get the things you need out of it. So, so with that, we're gonna go to break. When we come back, we're gonna have our lobbyist who we are a big fan of and who's kind of a superstar, Mike Beasley, join us and go a little bit uh, deep dive on some specifics of what's been introduced in the last this last week at the state level. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, we're back with Making Action Happen, uh, the show that we do for the Action 22 area. We serve as political muscle for 22 counties in Southern Colorado. Uh, We're going to have Mike Beasley join us in just a moment. He's at the Capitol right now. And as we indicated earlier in the show, it gets really, really crazy. And especially in this first week, it's been already been really crazy. There was a couple of things that we're going to talk about that we really wanted to to sort of do a little bit deeper dive or the things that we like. So we're going to talk about the legislation that we like um, that is coming out. And then we might have an opportunity to get into some legislation that, that we're a little more concerned about for some of our, for some of our um, action 22 members and for our communities. So um, I wanted to talk about this one as well. And we saw this uh, as this was sort of a, um, a contentious issue mm-hmm. when they were talking about the, the stimulus. And this was one of those volleyballs. It was a political puck, if you will, um, back and forth. But that's immunities for businesses, immunity protections for businesses. So let's talk a little bit about immunity protection for business. I tend to feel that this is really, really, really important for us to make sure it's happening. Yes. Um, so this was a point of contention on the federal level. Uh, whereas the Republicans wanted to protect businesses, um, their liability in case somebody tried to sue them. So immunity protection. So Colorado, they're trying to do the same thing. And what it is, is that if a business organization, um, I think even schools maybe, uh, if you catch coronavirus or something happens, it grants them immunity from being sued. So if I go to the grocery store, I catch coronavirus, I turn around and sue the grocery store for a lot of money 
uh, from getting coronavirus or multiple people do. Now, this only grants protection for those businesses that are following the rules and are doing their job. It, it's not a negligence thing. So it doesn't protect negligent businesses. Right. So, you know, if, you, if you're just like coughing and spitting on food in your restaurant, it's not yeah. going to protect you from that. So but I think, I think it's good. I think it's really good. I think especially now when businesses and restaurants in particular, mm -hmm. restaurants would be particularly susceptible uh, to anybody saying, you know, that I got coronavirus here and suing. There's no, this is unprecedented. So nobody yeah. has anything already set up. So yeah. for the time being, we have to say, if you're following the rules that are set out by the health department in your community or in your county, then we're going to protect you. We're gonna we're gonna support you in in following those rules by giving you protections. Otherwise, what's the point in doing that kind of tough tough call? Also, how are they gonna? I don't understand how you can track that. So if I go to like four different places in a day, I catch coronavirus. Do I sue all four places? I don't know how you would say where you got it. I yeah. think that's the hard thing with with this is that every day we're learning something new about the coronavirus, this novel coronavirus and how it's mutating and how we do. So you never know. Yeah. So, and then also like, if you get it, you could ha walk around with it for two weeks and not even know yeah. you had yeah. it. Like, how are you going to, how is this even possible? So it just makes sense to me mm -hmm. that if you say that the health departments have laid out the rules and you're following all the rules that somehow they should support you in doing those rules by protecting you yeah. from liability. So That's, we'll see where it goes. We'll I, see where it goes. There's not a, there's not a lot of hope that those immunity protections will pass. I think it's really a, um, a volleyball at this point, but we'll, we'll see on that one. Um, the other one that I really, really liked. Um, and again, it was just what we were talking about is there's, there's efforts to, really help sort of move people along to what they're calling beneficial electrification. So in new buildings mm -hmm. and some other things that they will do this. Now, I'm not saying that that's the wrong tactic, but people should be able to say, this is what's going to work best for our family or what we see in a lot of our rural communities are older homes, older buildings um, or costs of building are astronomical to do this. Now, one of the problems that we know, we know very, very well because we've worked on it for a long time is that there's a housing stock shortage in Southern Colorado. And one of the reasons why is the, um, is asbestos abatement. Mm -hmm. So to do any kind of remodel. So the idea is if you're going to do any kind of remodel or anything, you have to, you know, move away from natural gas or move away from propane. If you've been in Southern Colorado at all, if you've been to any of these communities, you know that that's completely unrealistic, um, both from a, a, a financial place, but also just realistically, that's not, they're not able to do this. So this bill, and, and I'm surprised that we even have to have this bill, but mm -hmm. it, it's a HB 1034 and it's the consumer's right to use natural gas or propane. Mm -hmm. So it protects you to say, um, if I'm going to remodel my house or if I'm going to build and propane makes the most sense, I get to use propane or, or natural I, gas or natural gas, or I yeah. get to use natural gas or propane. That's what makes sense. It's our setup or if I'm buying a new house or any of those things, but that's a real thing. Mm -hmm. um, another one, 
and I kind of find these funny. We've talked about wolf reintroduction on the yes. show. We're, <laughs> we're not happy about this. Um, we, when I'm, I'm trying to get a rise out of our friend, Chad Vorthman, who's uh, ran the campaign against this, um, this last, and he's of course the um, director for uh, Colorado Farm Bureau and um, still one of the most popular shows is when Sean Martini came on and, and talked about it. There's some tongue in cheek, um, I think that are up there. So I'm gonna give a shout out to Bob Rankin um, and a few of his uh, colleagues who um, are trying to basically say uh, the designated area is um, not, <laughs> if it's a designated area and what the designated areas are, I think he'd just like to introduce them into um, those places where they actually voted for it, but yeah. that aren't actually going to be affected yeah, by it. That's good. Um, so I'm excited to introduce once again, um, our good friend, uh, um, Mike Beasley, who is on the line now. Mike, you've had a busy, hectic week, yes? It has. How are you? I'm sorry I'm late. I, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. We were just um, talking kind of uh, the tongue-in-cheek uh, wolf, wolf introduction um uh, bills that were introduced this week, but we talked a little bit earlier about how hectic it is and the big difference between uh, federal um, and state is that in the state of Colorado, the number of bills that are introduced in 180 days is overwhelming. Well, it really is. And uh, I, I would say that I'm expecting to see, We, we I, I would bet by the middle of June, we'll see somewhere between seven and 800 bills introduced. And all of those under our constitution get a hearing uh, and a vote by the legislature, at least one. Um, and um, it, it's quite a bit of work. And they, the building really isn't, the state capitol really isn't what I'll call uh, public friendly right now um, be, due to COVID restrictions. So it's very difficult to navigate what you're going to see in this session is um, a lot of folks across our state relying on remote testimony through, uh, you know, using technology to, to zoom in, for example. And um, my guess is that's going to make the process take longer. And so it'll be curious to see at the end of session, which is now forecasted to be around June 12th, um, how many bills died just simply because they ran out of time. Um, because of the extra protocols that are will be in place to keep people safe. So in an average year, how many bills, and it's usually around right around 800, 800 bills that get introduced. Um, in the average year, how many bills actually get passed? Uh, that's a good question. I would say in an average year, you're looking at around uh, 50%, uh, 60% pass, and of those an overwhelming majority of those, probably nine out of 10, are bipartisan in terms of how they pass. You don't necessarily read about bills that pass with, you know, 90 out of 100 legislators because it, it's not controversial. Um, but, um, but quite a few of these bills will pass. When you look at the state budget and what the budget committee does alone, um, that accounts for at least 100 or so of those bills on average. Right. So it's a tremendous lift what they do, what everybody who does this in Colorado, what they do. We had um, looked and I explained to um, our listeners a little bit earlier sort of how it works that, uh, 
that you are our, our, our lobbyist for Action 22, um, but we have a lot of lobbyists who are members of Action 22, but that what you do is that you um, understand the topics that are of top of mind for us and that that's the legislation that you, uh, or those are the bills that you put on watch for us. Um, of those bills, and it's a, it's a great resource, you're a tremendous resource for us. Um, there's, there were several and we've, we've plowed through them for just the first few two days. Um, it was a two hour conversation between Brian and I. Um, what are the ones that are top of mind for you right now that you're looking at? You know, I think uh, so far what we're seeing are, are bills uh, related to COVID and, and how to deal uh, with COVID. And um, what you're going to see trickle out over the next few days, you know, the governor talked about in the state of the state speech, the need to provide tax cuts for individuals on, um, in, in, uh, that are on federal health care like Medicaid or Medicare um, and to pay for some of those um, tax cuts. Um, for individuals by raising taxes and fees on, on businesses that um, he, he and others uh, believe that those are special interest tax breaks. He talked about helping small business by further reducing the business personal property tax. And for those of your listeners who get to do their own taxes, they know what a, what a pain that is um, uh, to do that. We're going to see a lot on the energy space, for example, um, um, we, you, you see that the energy sector, uh, whether it's fossil fuel or even renewables, and Pueblo is certainly feeling that with some of the, the recent announcement from Vestas, it's, it's a, an expanding and contracting environment at the same time, very unstable. Um, so you're going to see more bills to incent the development of batteries. You're going to see legislation um, that um, for some members of the legislature, um, reducing emissions. Uh, greenhouse gas, carbon, those types of emissions, it's not happening soon enough, so they want to accelerate that. Those types of things affect Southern Colorado for, uh, and, for example, the, the, um, the coal plant in Pueblo. Um, you're going to see um, uh, education as a big, big topic. And for your listeners who are wondering, do their children uh, this spring have to do the CMAS testing and some of the types of testing that's required by state and federal law, there's going to be legislation uh, to slow down some of that testing and kick it into next year. Um, some, some school districts are talking about the need to do less testing, but do uh, a longer school year. Um, I'm old, so I'll call that summer school. Um, so you're going to see a conversation around that. Teacher, teacher licensure, you know, if a teacher's license came expired this year, should we give them a couple of more years? So a lot in that education uh, space. And higher ed, you know, keeping tuition as low as possible, you're looking at, you'll look at a 3% tuition increase, uh, that type of thing. I think transportation is a big one, and this is one that the your listeners and especially folks in uh, in Southern Colorado really need to pay attention to. And it, it, it's this uh, re um, the reconfiguration of how we tax um, uh, and build our roads, both at the state level, but the, the, that tax revenue that is shared with our cities and our counties. Um, a lot of folks want to redo that. The governor talked about it in the state of the state. Um, um, most of the conversation, honestly, is involved um, what I'll call suburban legislators. Um, 
and has support of business groups. It's conversation by of some of our larger employers, uh, the Denver Chamber and others. And I think you need to be mindful, uh, especially in, again, in Southern Colorado and in rural counties, that when we go away from a fuel tax, you know, price per gallon to a mileage tax, you know, you, you, you don't get as much tax revenue in your, in, in Action 22's counties from the state, but you certainly have a lot more road miles. And so you want to make sure that whatever they come up with doesn't harm you. And that dedication of revenues to things like electric vehicle charging stations and bus stops don't take precedent over the needs that you might have for whatever your multimodal solutions might be. And so it's going to be really critical on transportation that rural Colorado get to the table so they don't end up on the table, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. And there's a, I know that there's a discussion on that, uh, I think next week with the governor and with uh, Leroy Garcia, with President Garcia um, on that and there was already something. Um, there was already something introduced. There was already a bill introduced that uh, would uh, that talks about this. Correct. I, I know it's engine. in the works. I don't know. I haven't looked at the bills in the last few hours. Uh, we've okay. had over two hundred in the first day, and I expect another two hundred today. So I haven't seen it, but I, I know that there will be lots of different approaches to it. Um, we haven't seen the details of it, and that's that's one of the things why. I appreciate the outreach by the proponents of this bill, but I, I think that they actually need to stop talking about it and start showing us what they're thinking about. And I, I if I sound direct, um, I, that's I good. Appreciate that's that. how I intend it. Um, no, I appreciate I, that. I am, I'm a bit frustrated on in this process. What's is that your biggest frustration on this process? Because this is, I think, this um, is it, a it theme. Is. There's I, a couple other things that go like along that line. Look, you know, I think, first of all, in defense of the proponents of this bill, both legislators and non-legislators, it's difficult to have stakeholder conversations and and to really kind of get a true sense of where people stand and what their priorities are. And, and it just made stakeholdering on this topic more difficult. Having said that, um, we can't really care about that, right? I mean, we can be sympathetic, but the bottom line is you have to look out for your communities and to make sure that that we are approaching the next chapter of road funding uh, fair and equitably, and in that your communities, Action 22's counties, are unique, and um, and life exists outside the city of Denver. And that's going to be the heavy lift on on other issues as well, but especially on that, uh, we can't use COVAs as an excuse to be tone deaf, right? No, that's right. And it, it is make it more difficult. And people aren't going to testify as much on at the Capitol. They'll, they'll want to do it online. But I do know that your local elected officials, your county manager, excuse me, county commissioners, county managers, mayor, city council people, they're very involved. You're involved on behalf of the public and private sectors. And so my hope is this process will become more transparent and more collaborative moving forward. And if not, then you, you'll just We'll have to do what, you know, we'll have to give your concerns voice in the legislature. And that's what we intend to do. So they haven't proposed or you haven't seen the language yet on what they're proposing? No. Okay. No, there are a lot of ideas out there, um, but not not a lot. To me, it's more real and, and you can run it and lean it up against your own experience and your own priorities once it's on bill paper and we just haven't seen right. that. 
Is there any indication when they'll have that out? Um, I don't. Um, I, I, my guess is pure guesswork would be right around when the budget's done and state budget is moving uh, around the end of March, first part of April. Just a guess. Okay. All right. Um, I, we talked about it a little bit before you came on. There's two bills that have been introduced both, both in the House and um, in the Senate on immunity for immunity protections for businesses um, dur- like during COVID. So COVID immunity protections. Where's, what are you seeing? Or are you hearing any more about that? I think this is a really important thing. You know, we've heard that conversation both here and in Washington, D.C. Um, um, I, I, don't, I don't give those bills much of a chance to pass, um, only because they're, you know, in the Colorado experience that I'm familiar with, there really haven't been a lot of lawsuits, uh, it, and I think less than, than you can count on one hand that I'm aware of. Uh, that doesn't mean that there won't be moving forward. And so I think the business community and even some, even governments and governments have governmental immunity are going and like school districts, for example, are going to really have to talk to legislators in both parties about what they fear their risk is moving forward, what they think they may have done wrong or may be interpreted in a way to increase their risk. But right now, I think the proponents of this idea are short of that, of, of achieving that goal. And as a result, I don't, again, I don't give it much chance of passing. Gotcha. Um, can we talk a little bit about, and I know this is kind of um, in the weeds. Can we talk about SB 33, which is the conserva- um, conservation easement working groups? I, I've had a lot of people ask me about this. This is why I'm bringing it up. Uh, well, you know, this is a chronic issue going back 20 years, right? In terms of conservation easements, you know, conservation easements started out in a task force done during Governor Owen's time to save agricultural land. And I think folks in, in the wake of its passage to save ag land from development um, saw different abuses and um, by corporations or rich individuals, that type of thing. And so this is kind of the uh, in, in the last 20 years, I think this is probably the 15th year we've seen a bill in this space. Um, Senator Sonnenberg is the sponsor of that bill, and he's really trying to give voice to those small farmers who, who, in my opinion, um, and you may have a different view, but it's my understanding that he's trying to give voice to those small farmers who, who really would like those easements, um, right. and they, they've dried up. You know, they're not as available, or the paperwork around them are so um, onerous uh, the tax reporting, et cetera, that it just, it, it, it's almost a disincentive to want to do it. So this is his attempt uh, after many other attempts to try and uh, provide the balance that he sees it's missing in this area. Uh, I appreciate that. I know that there's, uh, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions around this. Um, I hesitate to uh, dive in on this one, but again, we've had uh, Action 22 members uh, bring this to us it's with um, the, the workforce um, or um, protection for uh, ag workers. So it's the ag workers' rights um, legislation that's being proposed. It's SB 087, um, and it's titled Agricultural Workers' Rights. Uh, I think this is, we've heard some concerns, some really deep concern about this one. 
Well, and this is one that has been um, contemplated for a year, and some of the newer, um, um, some of the newer ag groups have formed. Um, new ag groups have formed to um, try and and um, uh, give voice to those who believe who they believe um, are afraid. So, folks that are here that may be here on a on a temporary work permit or even here illegally, um, uh, they're trying to um, guarantee for those kind of folks and all kind of ag- agricultural workers, almost like a, I think Senator Danielson would be upset when I describe it this way, but almost like a unionization or collective bargaining for ag workers um, so that they are guaranteed, you know, things that most of us enjoy during the day that, you know, that you get paid overtime if you work over a certain period of time, that you get rest periods and meal breaks, that type of thing. And um, uh, it, it, is, it is controversial. It's, it's very new. It would be tough to enforce. But um, the right. bill sponsor um, who grew up on a farm, who is a suburban legislator, is a really a, a good lady who is very collaborative. She'll do stakeholder work on it. Um, and I think for those who have concerns about that kind of policy, they just uh, we, they need to figure out how they should engage her direct. And I think they'll find her um, very open to the conversation. Oh, that's fantastic. Mike, I hate to say this, but we're out of time for today um, on the show. I think there's we could go deep dive on a whole lot of these things. But you're saying that there's a being is, did I hear you right? There's about 200 bills being introduced to introduced a day right now. Yeah, we are at about 225 when I got on to the phone with you, and I expect another 100 to 200 between now and tomorrow morning. And we'll just keep going through them and, and uh, trying to make sense of them and, and, um, and to do everything we can to, to make good policy. So for, for your listeners and you, if there's anything you need or questions you have, they can contact you, and we're happy to answer any questions that anyone has. Mike, thank you so much. We appreciate having you. We're going to talk again soon. Thank you. Take care. And that's it for our show today. We will talk to you again next week where we're going to have, well, we're going to see what's going on in the legislature this next week, and we will let you know a little bit better what we're going to be talking about next week. And any questions, comments, or concerns, go to show at action22.org. And wanted to give a quick shout out to the Trails Preservation Alliance. They just joined while we were on the show, and it's a good group. Check them out. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your host, Sarah Blackhurst, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.